0: I'm Health Talk Radio. Now your host, Jacobus Holloway.
1: And we are back on the program. Gesundheit with Jacobus. I am your host, Jacobus Holloway. Chuck Martel, my engineer and faithful sidekick, who is always on the sunny side of me, which is my right side. Elsie Johnson on my left, which is also sunny. And Elsie is with TheLearningOptions.com. The Learning Options, that is her business, where she helps those in need. Of learning, and uh, they may have learning disabilities, be it uh, at a young age or as we progress in age. Give Elsie Johnson a call if you have any questions. You can find her at thelearningoptions.com. You can call her at local area at 282 7416. She will help you on te- doing a telephone uh, call. To in the evaluation where she can help you and if she can help you and then or she can steer you in the direction where you need to go uh, the other possibility would be you call a toll-free for those of you outside this area 30 years of experience in her field this lady has a lot to offer to many 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 people her toll free number 800 276 3138 800 276 3138 also with us on the phone is ronald davis and he is a, a, a what we call a corrected dyslexic and he is with us today talking about his story his life how he grew up how he was uh, was labeled as retarded as an imbecile as a dummy how he survived through his teenage years and started speaking when he was about seventeen, he didn't know how to didn't know learn how to read until he was and and write until he was about thirty six thirty seven. So uh, and then he it was actually at the time that he had retired. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, with him. You can find a lot of information about Ronald Davis, and you can find peer reviewed studies research work, uh, links to other great websites that talk about dyslexia and learning disabilities such as adD autism, which is a passionate topic for, for ron and and also um, uh, other things that deal with uh, high functioning autism etc asperger syndrome whatever it has to do with dyslexia learning disabilities dyslexia.com dyslexia.com will give you a lot of links a lot of information we hope you check it out now for those of you who would like to get involved with our guests today if you like to call the program 5228255 We'll get you on the show. We ask you to stay uh, to stay short with your comments and questions. Stay with the topic because there is so much to discuss today, but we so much appreciate your listening, and um, we hope that you react uh, to something uh, that comes to mind. So having settled that, Ron, if you don't mind, I, I, I so appreciate you with us today and, and share your story. And you were actually in Bozeman in August, so some of the people in the audience today have do remember you listening to you while you came and visited the Museum of the Rockies and uh, gave a, a Sunday afternoon presentation and when as you were talking just at the end of the hour talking about some of the work that you've done the emotional work to deal with the traumas that were left after you know as you were growing up your when you were 19 you were teaching calculus you started working as a certified mechanical engineer And you didn't like the work you were doing. What happened after that?
0: Well, uh, essentially, I I went to San Francisco to be a hippie. And (laughs) uh, uh, I have to say that of all of the the things that I have failed at in my life, failing at that, to me, was the worst of the lot. Uh, (laughs) LAUGHTER And the reason that I failed at being a hippie was because of the drugs. And I didn't understand why, but I I do now. The the drugs caused me to be in a state of disorientation. And that state of disorientation has been at the root of all of my problems for all of my life. And to deliberately do that to myself was very offensive. So I I found myself in a very interesting situation at that point, because I couldn't continue in the lifestyle I was in, which was pretending to be a hippie, and I couldn't go back to the lifestyle i had come from, which is going back to being an engineer and building bombs and missiles and killing people in Vietnam. Uh So I I had to get a job. Yes. (laughs) And this was almost a new experience for me, because usually, you know, when I was younger, People were offering me jobs as opposed to me needing to ask or, or figure out something. So I, I got a job as a driving instructor in San Francisco. And if you can imagine taking driving lessons from someone who does not know left from right, you can get an idea <laughs> what that might be like. It's like the taxi drivers in New York, huh? Like yeah, I had no idea which yeah. direction's left and right were. Yeah. So instead of instead of using the words I simply pointed in the direction that I wanted them to steer huh. and and that way neither one of us had to figure out if it was left or right. So, <laughs> uh I I found myself in the role of a teacher. And the teaching for me is, you know, back when I was nineteen and I was teaching mathematics, I-, I love mathematics. Mathematics are a part of who and what I am. And when I was teaching it, they they gave me a classroom and the students had to sit in in chairs that that were like the desk kind of right. things. Right. And and. I was very uncomfortable trying to teach in that kind of an environment, because mathematics doesn't belong in that environment, to me. Mm-hmm. Mathematics is, is its a wonderful thing that is, that is everywhere around us, and, and anyway, I didn't enjoy teaching something that I absolutely loved, I but see. when I was working as a driving instructor, I worked one with one with the student, and we weren't in a classroom, we were in an automobile, uh-huh. and If the student made a mistake, we caught it instantly, we would figure out a solution for the mistake. We would implement the solution, and this would create something called instant gratification. Uh And for a person like me that, you know, I I go with the way things feel, and I love that feeling, so I really love that job. But it didn't last very long, and then I, I started a metals brokerage company, and then not long after that I got involved in buying and selling real estate on the San Francisco Peninsula mm-hmm. and this is the point where I met my wife. She was she was wanting to go to medical school and she was selling real estate in order to finance that. So I got involved in real estate. We we worked together and we made for us what was uh, a small fortune. Yeah. And it was In the late 1970s, the real estate market started to slow down, and we simply decided to retire. Hmm. But what I didn't realize is that I was hiding my problem behind working. And when you retire, it means that you don't work. And I started to experience depression from from not working. And one day I realized, you know, if if I don't do something with my time, if I don't find something constructed to, to do, I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to die of feeling bad. So uh, I looked around for something that I could do with my time that, that, you know, I needed to to occupy myself. And essentially for me, all of my life, art has been a real narcotic for me. I can start to draw something or sketch something or chip a piece of stone or carve a piece of wood, and the rest of the world goes away until I finish doing what I was doing. Well, my thinking was, well, if I can't hide my problem behind work, I can be oblivious to it with art. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel that I had enough talent to really be an artist. I didn't think I could earn a living as an artist. But I was in a position that I didn't need to earn a living, so I started to play. And within a year, I was working as a portrait sculptor. Everything I made, I sold. And I discovered that I could make a wonderful living as an artist. Uh-huh. As a matter of fact, uh, if I retire again, <laughs> I'm going to go back and, and be uh, an artist again. Because for me, it was like dying and going to heaven. Mm. But while I was working as an artist, I started to notice things that did not make sense to the engineer in me and And these things have been there my entire life, but I've always managed to ignore it. I've always managed to to just push it aside and not pay any attention to it. But when I was working as an artist, I could no longer push it aside. What I realized was that when I was at my artistic best, I was at my dyslexic worst, and what that says is I don't have brain damage I see. that that huh <clears throat> yeah uh i I wanted to believe from the time I was 18 years old, that the reason that I couldn't read or write was that that a doctor had pinched my head. And he was the reason that I couldn't read or write. And what I discovered was that the problem I'm, I'm having could not possibly come from that it, it, it was like realizing that you can't have brain damage in the afternoons and in the mornings it goes away for a little while and in the afternoons it comes back again it, it doesn't work like that if the problem is a structural problem it's going to remain consistent that's it's not true. going to come and go come and go that's right so yeah so my thinking was well if the problem is not a structural problem then what is it and there's only one answer to that question, and the answer is it is a functional problem. And what that means is I'm either doing something that causes the problem to be there, or I am failing to do something, and that's what causes the problem. Mm-hmm. And with that thinking, I became a researcher into the field of dyslexia, and once I started looking, it didn't take very long before I started doing some binding. And what I what I discovered was how to turn off a state of disorientation. When I would try to read, I would simply get disoriented. And in order to understand this, a normal person, if they were to simply take a book that they're very familiar with, open it and hold it above their head in both hands and spin around real fast 10 times and then sit down, bring the book down and try to read what it says, they would experience what it would be like to be dyslexic. Wow. Because they are causing, the the spinning around will bring about a disoriented state. A dyslexic person does not need to spin around in order to do that, they just need to try to read (laughs) and it will happen. So what I discovered was how to turn that off and that day I went to a library and I read the book Treasure Island from cover to cover in just one day. Now. For me, I I never dreamed of the ability to read a whole book. Uh, For me, that kind of a dream would not have been a good dream. That would have been a nightmare kind of a dream. And I never prayed for the ability to read a whole book. I, I didn't think that was the kind of prayer that God would answer. So there was a day in my life that I had an experience that was beyond my ability to dream and beyond my ability to pray. And as a result of that experience, two things occurred. It was the first day in my life that I considered myself to be a real human being, that I wasn't a mistake that God made, or I wasn't a mistake that some person or some doctor had made, that I was really a human. Wow, that and, was amazing. That's yeah, amazing. and that, that was the major point in my... If I would have to say, you know, there was the birth thing that happened that I'm totally unaware of, yeah, and so. then there was that day, and that's the day that... I was really born as as a real person, wow. and that's the person that I am today wow. anyway <clears throat>
1: huh.
0: The other thing that happened for me that day is I made the mistake of thinking I had cured myself of dyslexia uh-huh. because one day I can't read a street sign, and the next day I could read a whole book, I must be cured and it wasn't th- like this happened this happened a long time ago it happened in December of nineteen eighty. By April of 1981, I realized that I wasn't cured. I realized that at the very most, all I had done is I'd found a piece to a puzzle. And it certainly wasn't the whole puzzle. And there would be more puzzle pieces that would have to be found in order to really understand or deal with what it is that was going on. So at that point, I and two other people created an organization called the Reading Research Council. And my wife and I funded it. And the three of us very quickly became 15. And we had (laughs) two basic goals. (laughs) (laughs) The first goal was to, to see if we could find the rest of the puzzle pieces, to see if we could figure out what dyslexia really was. And the second goal was, if we could find the puzzle pieces, figure out how to put it together in order to make the problem really go away. So by December of 1981, we knew what the puzzle pieces were. And by April of 1982, we knew what we would have to do to actually correct it. Now, we hadn't done it yet, but we knew if we followed these particular steps and we did this job completely and thoroughly, the problem should simply disappear. And what we had discovered in in that simple one-year period of time went beyond everything that people thought, were taught, and believed about dyslexia. Hmm. The, the old traditional beliefs and, and the ways of looking at it were not really based on, on real evidence. They were based on only theories and thinking of individuals. And what we were looking at is, you know, <clears throat> we don't know if we've got the, the theory correct, but we know if we do these steps, we can actually correct it. And that correction is based on the thinking about what dyslexia is. And essentially, dyslexia is not a disease. As a matter of fact, it is so difficult to create dyslexia. It's a surprise or it's a wonder that so many people actually can do it.
1: I see. You mean turn it on and turn it
0: off? You yeah mean, well, not turn it on or turn it off. It's, it's you know dyslexia is a developmental disorder. In other words, we create it. It isn't something that just happens to us. Okay. We have to actually create what it is that's going on. now're we're, we're not deliberately creating a learning disability. that's not that's not true, but we are creating what will eventually cause or be at the root of a learning disability.
1: Or what we 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 have to give something that we don't understand a name. We have to give it a name. Yeah,
0: yep. I see. And,
1: that, and is, that is yeah. Go ahead.
0: It goes back to dyslexia is actually a product of three things, not one thing, but three things. It's a product of thinking. Hmm. It's a product of a talent or a natural ability the person has, and it's a product of how dyslexic people react to the feeling of being confused. I see. In other words, there isn't a structural problem that is the cause of it. And when, well, let's step sideways just a little bit. In order to be dyslexic, you have to primarily think with the pictures. In other words, you have to be primarily a picture thinker to the age of nine. Uh, And you you covered uh, a couple of hours ago the idea of thinking with sounds and thinking with pictures. Yes. Most people can do both kinds of thinking, but, you know, when we are first born, when we are infants, we cannot do word thinking. Word thinking is a developed skill, and you can't even begin to develop that skill until after you've learned language. Mm. So the picture thinking is the kind of thinking that is normal or natural for human beings to do. This is the kind of thinking we're born doing. The problem is when you're doing it, you're not aware of what it is that you're doing right. because it happens too fast. Correct. So when they when they decided to teach school, they decided that they would teach it to the word thinkers. In other words, the, the, all of school is based around word thinking, and some of us develop the ability to do that faster than others. And if you are nine years old and you haven't developed that skill yet, you're going to have difficulty in school. I don't know what they're going to call it. They could call it dyslexia or ADD, or you know, there are over 80 different names that they have now for it. Yes. But one of those names is going to get attached to you simply because you didn't develop the ability to think with the sounds of words. Mm -hmm. So this this is where it all starts. Now, in order to have the real dyslexia, you have to be able to experience being disoriented. Now, disorientation is a normal and natural thing for human beings to do. If you've ever had the experience of sitting in a vehicle that's stationary and something outside your vehicle moves and you feel like you're the one that's in motion, yeah. you know what disorientation is. Yes, yes. There are some of us that are born with a genetic code that it gives us access to that function. In other words, we can simply make it happen by wanting it to. Where ordinary people, it, they, it is a reaction to stimuli in the environment. Correct, from the outside. Yeah, and it is this function, it is the disorientation that is truly what it is that we see when we see dyslexia. All of the symptoms of dyslexia are symptoms of disorientation. So you can have a normal person in an oriented state that do not that does not manifest any of the dyslexia symptoms. But if you can get that person into a disoriented state, you're going to see them start making the the symptoms of dyslexia. Mm-hmm. So what I discovered in in 1980 for myself was simply how to turn off the disorientation on the inside something i could do that would stop it from occurring and that allowed me to to read a book i
1: see uh-huh
0: and that's what i thought was the, <laughs> the what had cured myself of dyslexia but <clears throat> there is a reason why the disorientation occurs mm-hmm. and if you leave the reason why it's there there it's going to keep occurring so what we do is we address the reason that it is there. And there's a simple it, it, it might be easier if I simply show you what this is about as opposed to try to tell you. Can I do that?
1: Uh yeah, we uh, think we have about uh a minute to do that can you do it in a minute or shall we do it when we come back from the from the break?
0: Let's do it when we come back from break. Okay. Because now, uh, also, what we need to be aware of is that everybody that has dyslexia has their own stories about it. Right. There are no two people that have dyslexia that have the same thing.
1: That's interesting also. And
0: yeah. I actually sat in physically sat in the corner of the room, but everybody that has dyslexia has their own corner, mm-hmm. if I can use that, that metaphor. Yeah. So <clears throat> we we need to realize that... that not every dyslexic experience is the same as everybody else's mm-hmm. that 's the wide range we were talking about this morning
1: right it's, yep. uh, that's, uh, that's, that's a good point now, uh, also, when we come back, I know that in one of your interviews you were talking about uh, the new generation of babies that are being born with uh, with gifts the gift of dyslexia, which is one of the books uh, that you have uh, that you have written uh, also the gift of learning is another book that you have written and Stay tuned, we will be right back with Kazun Tai Twitchy